All right, it's Dot Comps, and I would like very much to have prayer with you before you uh, bring your, what God has put on your heart for us this evening, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for this young man who has committed his life uh, to you and to working, uh, doing the work that you have called him to do. And Lord, I pray for direction in his life. I pray that you just uh, bless him and his wife and all that they're doing, Lord, because they're honoring you and what they do. I pray for him this evening that you would just uh, bless him as the words that you have given him, Lord, will uh, break into our hearts. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. So I've got a story to tell you. <laughs> um, back when I was in high school, I didn't stay there very long, but uh, uh, when I was in high school, there was this time we were in... Uh, biology class and uh, sometimes in biology you got to do a little bit of numbers and stuff um, and the question was the teacher even wrote it on the board he said <laughs> he had 1.62 written up there and he said how many times can one go into this and some of us are like well, one, can, one can't go into 1.62 and he's like, okay, this is supposed to be a rhetorical question. He's like, one can go into 1.62 at least one time because one can go into itself, obviously. And uh, some of the other people are like, oh, yeah, you know, duh. And I'm like, no, I don't see it. I'm like, I don't think so. I was like, I don't think this is possible. I'm like, pre I'm pretty sure it has to be at least two before one can go into it. And I did not fail my math classes before that. It was just, it was just kind of, a, I guess, a bad, a bad warning for me. I was trying my best to, to convince them, like, no, no, you're, you're confused. <laughs> One cannot go into 1.62, and then, like, it hits me. And after I've argued with the entire class, and they're like, are you joking right now? And I was being 100% serious. And it, it finally hits me. And I just kind of stopped saying anything. I just like, okay, we'll move on now. Uh, and the teacher's like kind of, he's like kind of looking at me like this and like, uh, see, so like he just like does his stuff on the board and kind of goes on. And I'm like, you know, we'll stop talking about that. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, what an idiot. I felt like an idiot because it's so obvious but I had argued so strongly for it that I've just felt stupid, like in front of everybody. I had believed in this so much that I just, <laughs> I wound up looking really, really stupid in front of everybody. Um, really felt foolish. So if I describe that well enough to where everybody's kind of familiar with that, and I say, has anybody felt that feeling before? Everybody could pretty well say, yeah, I've I've had that feeling, whether it be something stupid or like you were perfectly well within your rights, you've had that, that embarrassed, foolish feeling. Because that's, pretty, that's a pretty um, important feeling, I think, sometimes in your life. You, you grow from feelings like that. You get that, that, uh, <laughs> you get that experience and you, you typically don't revisit that, that particular mistake. So, Nate talked this morning about um, 2 Corinthians 5 and um, kind of the, 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 key, the key to that 
a particular part of um, Scripture is Paul is describing a Christian's identity. He's saying this is who you are. You're, you know, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. You're a new creation in God. You have become new. Past tense. So he's saying, those of you who that's true for, those of you who are a new creation, you've, you've become new and now you've been given this responsibility. We actually use this, me and Amy use this to talk about, if anybody remembers when we were here last, we use that to talk about one of the reasons we want to go into the tribe to, to uh, you know, bring Christ to people who've never heard it before is because of this responsibility, the ministry of reconciliation. You know, you know, bringing one group, which is fallen mankind, to another group, which is God, and you know, bringing them that that ability to reconcile, which is Christ. So, your identity is what gives you the responsibility to that ministry. So, if you're not saved, if you're not a Christian, then this, of course, does not apply to you. It's only Christians who have the responsibility to bring this to other people, to give them what you've got. And I think, especially for us here in the church, or for, for the younger group growing up, and they, they see missionaries paraded across the stage, and they hear about all the wonders, things that God's doing. We have this kind of idealized version of ministry. This, this glorious picture to us what ministry is, what, what the word of reconciliation is in reality. We think, oh yeah, it's, it's great. That, like they, they fly over on, in like first class airplanes. They, they land, all the people gather around and they're like wearing their suits and they're like, uh, okay, so who wants to hear a message? And of course everybody speaks English and they're like, oh yeah, we want to hear this message you've never, we've never gotten and they're like, oh yeah, guess what? There's a, there's a way you know, out of this darkness and people are like, oh, that's great. That's kind of, I feel like that's kind of an idealized version that we have of ministry. Um, that when we think of reaching the lost or we think of just ministering to anyone in general, we think it's like that, like... Uh, like you, maybe for the first couple of years, it's like scrubbing toilets and, you know, doing like maybe you're, you're running things to people who need them and you're doing like the lower level stuff. And then like any good job, you know, you, you ascend, you go to the higher ranks and then you don't have to do that anymore. Then you sit around and you tell people what to do. Uh, you come up to the stage and you, you teach people and it's easy. You have this, this really pretty neat ministry. But I think that we'll find that real ministry looks a little more like the story that I told you where you're embarrassed. You look like a fool most of the time. That you have to believe in something enough to where you can look like a fool. I'll read this. Uh, uh, it's this verse is 1 Corinthians uh, 4.10. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He's, uh, I'm in 2 Corinthians. I'm like, that's not right. Something's wrong here. We have it up there. Paul tells the Corinthians, We are fools for Christ's sake, 
but you are prudent in Christ. He's being sarcastic. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. Now, he is being sarcastic. He's saying, he's not saying this is truth. He's saying this is what you believe to be truth. Matter of fact, before that, he says, uh, you're, uh, you're kings. Uh, he says, you are already filled. You have already become rich. And you've become kings without us. So Paul's kind of being a little bit snarky with them, a little bit sarcastic. But this is their viewpoint. Paul looks like a fool, and they look wise because they're cool. They're collected. They don't, they don't do the silly things that Paul does. They don't, they don't, look like, they don't go out and, and try and teach people and take a stand for things because then you just wind up looking silly. Paul's like, this is what I look like to you. So we had a guy come in, come and teach this at the school, talk about his, his time in the mission field. And he was, he was talking about this idea here. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. But after that, I'm thinking, okay, fools for Christ. I'm like, we, we should try to cultivate that in ourselves. We should live by faith and walk in Christ. And then we can reach people better, even other Christians. We can become fools for Christ's sake. So here's what it is. At the school, they have this little joke they like to play on people where they bake a cookie, but it's not really a cookie. They bake it with cookie dough and they put baking powder and salt and stuff in it. So it's just horrible to taste. Like when you taste it, it like burns your tongue. So I'm well aware that this joke is going around and this girl comes up and she, did she offer you the cookie? Did she? And Amy's like, Kind of got her thinking face on. She's like, I'm not sure. And so, so the girl's like, okay. She, like, she, she tries to give me the cookie. She's like, you want the cookie? And I'm like, I don't want to turn her down. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'll be a fool for Christ's sake. I'll allow myself to look foolish if this is a prank. This way, she won't have her feelings hurt. So I take the cookie and I bite it. And I'm like making these awful faces. Like, this is the most disgusting thing. You just gave me a baking soda cookie. And she's laughing at me. I chose to be a fool for Christ, and she laughed at me for it. She thought, like, that's what you get for sparing my feelings, you jerk. <laughs> um, but I think that's probably how Paul felt most of the time. These guys who thought that he was foolish, and Paul's like, man, I, I did everything I could. I, like, put myself on the line. I'm, like, being beaten and things, and you're, you guys are laughing. And, like, Paul, he's an idiot. He's a fool. Okay, the next uh, group of verses is going to be 2 Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11. And we'll go there. Okay, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27. Okay, Paul says, still talking to the Corinthians, saying five times, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the cities, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. So basically anywhere he goes, he's in danger. Can't take a breath, can't eat a meal without being in danger, apparently. I've been in labor and hardship, 
through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So Paul's saying, yeah, my ministry isn't really uh, the American dream. It's not really like the most fun thing I could have picked out for myself. Like little Paul when he's growing up and learning from, what was that guy's name, Gamaliel, his teacher. He's like, uh, you know what, where I think that this should lead me is uh, I probably want to be like beaten and shipwrecked and things like that. Sounds really fun. He probably wasn't doing that. He probably at the time was like, I want to be one of the great teachers like the other Jews. And I think that's the way we are sometimes, especially the younger group. Uh, you see missionaries and things like that. And they come across as like, this is really easy. Well, you get the Facebook pictures, right? Facebook pictures of, of a, uh, a missionary trip. They went on a missions trip and they're like holding babies, like rebuilding, like nice cool weather, like they got the thumbs up, like they're rebuilding someone's house, something like that. I'm not saying those people aren't going through, you know, hardship. I'm just saying to us, We'll sit back in America and look at that and be like, man, that looks fun. I think I might take a little jaunt down to old uh, South America and do some rebuilding. Looks like fun to me. And Paul's like, that's not really the point of ministry. It's not really what it looks like. I didn't, I didn't give Craig these verses because it's, it's really just more of a, a, a principle. But John 15, verse 20 Jesus is saying, a slave is not greater than his master. This principle. I'm kind of jumping all over the place um, because I'm really, I'm really just talking about Paul's and Jesus' lives. Uh, and just kind of jumping around grabbing uh, different verses. But here's the principle, Jesus says, um, that if you're his slave or his friend, uh, if you're his student, he said, what happens to me is going to have to happen to you as well. He's like, you will not have a successful ministry by trying to avoid suffering or looking foolish. And like, if you need to remember what Jesus's, what Jesus's particular uh, experience was, um, Matthew 27 records verse after verse of like humiliation. People making fun of Jesus, like smacking him, like prophesy who hit you if you're Jesus. Like he said he's going to tear down the temple and rebuild it. And like, you can't even take yourself down from that cross. They were laughing at him, mocked him, wrote king of the Jews, king of the fools above his head. Jesus is saying, slave's not greater than his master. But that act of Jesus's was he, was he worried about being made fun of? Was he worried about being beat up, uh, slandered, them calling him a liar? You're a liar. You're not really, like, you're just here to make fun, to, to be made fun of. And uh, what was the other two, liar, lunatic, or Lord? Like, you're just here, you're just, like, trying to gather a following and stuff. They're, like, slandering his name. People still do that today. I think he cares about as, about as little now as he did then. He said, I didn't come to be, like, built up. I didn't expect them to treat me with esteem. He's like, I came to be despised so that everyone else could live, so that those people could.
could live. And I think to us, like sometimes we feel like people are, you know, maybe, maybe talking bad about Jesus or God. Like, oh, he's disrespecting God. It's like, of course he is. They always have. Jesus is like, if they, if they despised me now, they're, gonna dis- they're always going to despise me. So whether it's you or me who's, being, who's representing God, it's like it's all, you're always going to be despised. If you're, if you're going to try and minister in the world, that's the way it's going to look. So it sounds pretty rough. And Jesus' crucifixion, crucifixion is really rough. And the disciples all died pretty painfully as well. But I think rather than that looking like, okay, here's what I need to avoid. I need to avoid being uh, you know, caught by the Romans or like the authorities and things like that. It's like, no, they became fools. They became the, the victim, like genuine victim. They didn't make themselves look like a victim. They really became victims in order to serve others. And that guy, you guys have actually, uh, you've met um, Brian Connard. He came to speak here a few times, uh, and so did uh, Matt Zawada. Um, both of their brother-in-law, his name is uh, Benjamin Hatton, and he came to speak at the school a few times, and uh, He's the first one that I heard like talk about this being a fool for Christ because in his, he was talking about his uh, mentality going in was like, you know, people people treat missionaries like they're awesome, and so he was just like the bumbling missionary. He said, like he couldn't do anything right. Definitely couldn't speak their language. He always called himself fat. He wasn't that. He wasn't like fat. But they his his tribe. What they would do is they would take these like day-long treks through, through their part of the jungle, the forest, like up and down canyons and like crossing these tiny uh, uh, ridges where you, like, you could nearly fall to your death there. And he said he tries to do this with them. He tries to walk with his tribe and his legs give out on him. He couldn't do it. Couldn't make it with his tribe. He couldn't even be where the missionary was supposed to be. He couldn't keep up with them. He like gave out. They had to carry him. <laughs> they had to carry the missionary. And then at the end of it, the, the people, they would stand up in their boats and they would row, all standing up together and row like that. And he was sitting down like, like one of the women or the children of the village would, would be doing if they were in the boat. He had to sit down because he couldn't, he couldn't keep his balance for sure, but he was also too tired. And he said he heard them coming... He heard another canoe coming around the corner and they were whooping and hollering and he was, he was hearing them and in his head he was thinking like, well, what do we have here? The, the little, little baby couldn't handle the, the man's uh, trek. He couldn't handle it. He's like, there was a lot of times where he felt foolish or just out of place, embarrassed by his place there in that, in that tribe. Does that mean he was... He shouldn't have been there. I think that means he was right where he should have been. Looking like a fool to bring Christ's glory. I think that's what it looks like to be a a fool for Christ. Okay, and the next uh, passage we got is 1 Corinthians 6, 
another chapter in Paul's Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 6, 5 through 8. Paul's saying that they're, uh, the Corinthians are taking each other to court over, over silly things. So it would look like, like we all leave the building and you start to pull out and you accidentally like scrape the side of somebody's car. You get out and you're like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And they're like, you know what? I'll see you in court over this. Like Christians doing it to each other. And Paul's like, you look silly. He's like, don't you know that you're going to judge angels and you can't even judge a, a matter like this? And he gives them the answer to such a situation. I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren? But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers? Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren. So Paul's saying the proper, the proper response is to look like a fool. Just let yourself look silly. Let yourself be stolen from. He's like, what is it really going to hurt you? Are you really that so concerned with your own self-esteem, your own self-worth, that you can't allow yourself to be defrauded, to be wronged. Paul's like, newsflash. Your life in Christ, it's not about you. It's about Christ. It's like, so if you're wronged, he's like, that's fine. You're doing good. You're halfway there. When you're wronged, you can allow yourself that and use it, use it to witness. But no, they take each other to court. I will get back what you took from me, that kind of idea. And we have this, we have this even in our society when it's not, not even pertaining to, to missions. We're not even talking about like serving or, or ministering. We have this with Christians, just, you know, working alongside each other, not willing to let things like that go. Paul's saying, I say this to your shame. This is, this is a bad thing. He's like, this should, this should not be an issue. Of course, the Corinthians were really carnal. They had a lot of trouble with that. But. So then the question's raised. It's like, well, this sounds really, really bad. My new identity sounds really, really bad. I don't really want to be defrauded. Like you're saying, if a Christian steals money from me or does something wrong to me, I'm supposed to be like, I forgive you? Like, no, I don't like that. I don't like that a bit. You say, why should I? Why should I act the way that my identity says I should act? Why should I be in Christ? Like, is that really going to affect my ministry so much? And Paul's, uh, 
I'm skipping again back to 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12. Second Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. And Paul's talking to God here saying, um, saying, can you remove this obstacle, this thorn in the flesh from me? And God's like, no. And God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ, Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, so we have this question of why should I? Why should I allow things to happen to me because you can you can choose that you can choose not to allow yourself to be defrauded you can choose not to look like a fool you know what it looks like it, it happens a lot in our culture matter of fact there's a lot of people who will never make a difference because you're too scared to look silly very very popular in our generation the millennials are terrified to take a stand for anything it's almost biblical to teach people not to do anything. Just, you know, keep your, keep your distance from people. Don't get too close because you might look silly. You might eventually look like a fool. And God's like, yeah, I'm trying to get you there. Like Nate said this morning, uh, a piece of pottery can easily turn into shattered earthenware. It can. It's easy to break it, but it's not so easy to get the light to shine out of it. You have to choose that for yourself. And that's Paul. Paul's talking about that in 2 Corinthians as well. I think, I think chapter 3, 4, around in there. And he's saying, he's saying, in order for you to look like Christ, you have to be gone. This, yourself needs to die first in order for you to have this successful ministry. So does all ministry look like foolishness? Are you going to look silly in every single ministry? No, not necessarily. But it does, it does all require death. You, you must die before you can live to Christ. Paul says, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we have, uh, we have a lot of people uh, in our, in our uh, age group, our uh, generation, who will, not, who will not take the leap. They'll not take the step. They're too afraid to, to go into another context, one where all of their uh, experience Everything, everything that they've ever been taught by their, you know, their own nature, uh, their own people, their own parents, their own society, movies, everything they've ever been taught is protect yourself. Make sure that you are okay. And that's where we get this American dream from, that we're, we're only worried about ourselves. 
and where, where we're able to take care of ourselves in the future. It's like, does this, does this future I see have me in a position where there's absolutely no way some kind of, some kind of bad like storm, we were calling them storms earlier today, some kind of bad storm can come into my life and destroy everything that we've worked so hard for. Well, if it doesn't, if, if my future doesn't include that safety, then, you know, it's a, I can't, I can't attempt that. I can't attempt to go somewhere, you know, like we got, we got lost people here. Why would we, why would we send people over into the tribe where it's like, are you, you know, are you going to be able to live comfortably there? It's like, uh, probably not. So what makes you want to go over there? It's like, well, that's kind of a funny question. I guess I can't say it's not about what I want. That doesn't make any sense to our culture. It has to be, you must have some kind of brilliant plan to springboard yourself into the wealth and well-being. And I think that's, that's where we have this self our self warring with, or our, our old nature warring with the spirit as we forget to be like Paul and allow ourselves to die. Paul says, I die daily. And it's all right here in chapter 12 where God's, gracious, God's grace is sufficient for us. His power is perfected in our weakness. So then we should respond most gladly now we will boast in our weakness so that the power of Christ, the life of Christ, can dwell in us. And that's the only way you're ever going to minister to people. Like what Nate was saying earlier, be intentional with people. Well, it's not you who's ministering. You're never going to get anybody anywhere. We will never, you know, band together enough to where we can perform some, some feat in order to get people saved. It's the power of Christ. Always has been, always will be. We, our, our job is to get ourselves out of the way so that he can do it for us. So that's the why. The why, why should I look like a fool? Well, your identity leads you to your ministry. I'm in Christ so now I must take God's word to other people. Well, now, me taking God's word to other people, is that going to look cool? Is that going to be safe? Is that going to be easy? Most likely not. It's going to make you look silly, foolish, probably suffer a bit along the way. And God's, like, and God's not going, oh no, my people are suffering. He's like, okay, finally, they're suffering. It's like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Not saying I want you to suffer, he's saying you must suffer in order to become like Christ. And then that's when his power can work. He's not happy to see bad things happen to you, but he's happy about the result that that can produce. What was what was the woman's name that had that was she said she was in like the three car accidents and then found out she had leukemia? Linda, Linda that was her name? That was really impressive. Like she should be talking about being a fool for Christ too. That's, I mean, 
I don't have a quarter of the experience that she has in that area. But that's exactly the goal. That's what Paul's talking about there is having those experiences and then still allowing God's power to shine through. Okay. And that's about it. Becoming fools for Christ. Is anybody else supposed to come up here? No? I'm supposed to pray. Look at my hair. It's not. (laughs) Okay. God, we uh, thank you for everything you do for us and given us your word to read and become more like you and that we're able to be conformed to the image of Christ by living through Christ, by dying to ourselves and uh, living by faith in you and by serving and uh, just living out our, our daily lives by listening to you. And God, we thank you for all the blessings and uh, uh, taking care of your people and keeping us safe or not keeping us safe in order to help others around us. And we just thank you for your provision, God. And uh, we just ask that you uh, continue to teach us, continue to mold us to look more like you. In Lord Jesus Christ's name, amen.